Sunday morning, church is closed and I don't see the people coming round. Vacant lots around me, glass is broken, city's on the corner, stroking round. Tell me when did angels lose their faith? Tell me how far was their fall from grace? If the hearts were broken from my mistakes, tell me if my love can mend the Mama promised me my own mountain, mm-hmm. and Daddy guaranteed me a rocket ship. Yeah. If you All right, first I got to slate this because it is my podcast. So, welcome to Detroit is Different. As we see up against the wall, we're in the jam handy. Right now, it is Saturday night, March 28th. It's 9.30 at night. This is generally a 7 o'clock thing, but people ain't got curfew. No, I don't. All right, I have a special guest with me, Thornetta Davis. How are you doing today? I'm wonderful. How are you doing, Kari? I'm doing wonderful. I'm doing wonderful. And this whole podcast thing is something that I'm very interested in. It's... Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I'm gonna travel as I wanna focus on the people and places that add culture to the city of Detroit. Mm-hmm. So within this people and culture in the city of Detroit, I always start the podcast with, how long have you lived in the city of Detroit? All my life. Okay, yeah. who was the first family member to come to Detroit? Ooh, I would say my mom. My mom with my grandmother and all of her family members, they did that exodus from the south and came here. Okay, where about in the South? Somewhere in Alabama. Somewhere in Alabama. That sounds like like one of them small towns. (laughs) You know, somewhere in Alabama. It's like one of them things where we don't talk about that no more. Okay. Have you ever been? Uh, No. no. Okay. Okay. And do you know when about they came to Detroit? Hmm. Probably around 1940, 1942. Okay. All right. Now, 42, when we think about the history of the city of Detroit, um, 42 is definitely when it was bustling in industry big time and then you had like just a mix of so many different cultures and people mm-hmm. as we know like most black people were in black bottom Detroit mm-hmm. and along with the black people that were in black bottom Detroit a whole lot of other like what would be looked at as European immigrants so mm-hmm. a lot of Polish a lot of Italian people a lot of people that couldn't get into uh, you know premium housing right. throughout the city so do you remember whereabouts your family stayed in that in that time I don't know for sure where they stayed when my mom was a child. I remember when I was a little girl that my grandmother stayed on Heidelberg. Okay. Right off Mac. Okay. Yeah. Now, as we go to that, let's go to our introduction. Mm-hmm. I know you as a singer. Yeah. Also, Wanakee's moms. But along with both of those things, as a singer, how long have you been performing? Well, all my life. I just love to sing. I sang with the TV commercials. Okay. You know, people assume I grew up singing in the church, and I didn't go to church uh, because my mom had her issues with that. But mm-hmm. we be- we were raised to believe in God, and so okay. I believe that God did give me my voice, and so I just love to sing all the time. Okay. So when you first. 
began, you said, singing most of your life in TV commercials. Mm -hmm. What was the first commercial that you're talking about? Oh, my God. You're going to be, I'm too old. I'm old enough to be your mom. I can't yeah. remember that. Yes. You don't remember that first no. commercial? No. I remember singing to the Supremes when I was a little girl. And okay. I wanted to be Michael Jackson. <laughs> okay. And my sisters were the Jackson Five. I remember all of that. Okay. Um, but I used to love singing. Just Okay. Do you remember your first show here? In Detroit. Yep. Ooh, um, I was with a group called Joss, and they had found me at a talent show. My sister had, uh, because I sang all the time, and she was in a summer program, she, uh, at Inner City Subcenter, they were giving a talent show. Huh. She came home one day, she said, we're doing a talent show, and they got a band, and you got a good voice, and you should, you should join this talent show. And I was like, really? And she goes, yeah, come on down, just audition. And I went down there and auditioned for the talent show. And the guy in charge of the talent show, he said, okay, you're in, but I want you to be a part of this production that's happening before the talent show. And so I had to do the production also. Okay. And then the talent show, and this was at uh, Wayne State University. I was 15 years old. Okay, so you've been performing on stage since 15. Mm -hmm. People always ask me, do I ever get stage fright? Did you have stage fright then? I was terrified. Okay. I would choke up. Uh -huh. In the middle of a song, be like, <laughs> but I wanted to sing so bad that I knew I had to just sing through it. Okay. Yeah. Once I got through the choke up, I, I was fine. Okay, so at that point, at 15, when did you make the transition to say, okay, I'm going to be a singer mm -hmm. for the rest of my life? Ooh, um, at 15, I loved to sing. I didn't think it was going to be something that I do for a living. You know, when they ask you what you want to go to school for, I, I did this generic question, the generic answer was a uh, physical therapist. Uh-huh. <laughs> really? <laughs> but that's what I would say. Or um, I was in ROTC, so I thought I might join the Army. And prior to graduating high school, there was a group who was also in that talent show, and they called themselves Joss. And they were all in their 20s. Mm -hmm. And, uh, oh my God, I'm jumping over something. Uh, while in high school, the first person that got me to sing in the talent show in high school. His name was Daryl Bush. Okay. And it was Daryl Bush who heard that I could sing. And they had a talent show in the school and, and he was just a guest pianist. Mm -hmm. And uh, he heard that I could sing. He goes, what song do you know? I said, well, this time I'll be sweeter. And he just started playing it. And I was like, oh my God, it sounds just like the record. Sing. And I just started singing. He goes, you in that talent show tonight, baby. And so from that point on, I knew that's what I wanted to do. He okay. put me together with this other two females that were in school. And we ended up together for several years. We called ourselves Chanteuse. Okay. So I was in two different groups coming up into this thing as a young woman, you know. Okay. Now, one group sounds like you were playing with some more seasoned musicians. Yeah, they were all in their 20s. And then one you were playing with teenagers like me. Okay, what was the difference? Well, the, the first group was the, the seasoned musicians, and I was with them for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And then when that disbanded, I, at the time that it disbanded, I had gotten pregnant with my daughter, Wanaki. Mm -hmm. um, so I did a little hiatus for about huh, a year. Mm -hmm. And then um, the, the two girls and another girl from the old group decided, well, let's, let's put something together. And, okay. And that's when we decided to uh, develop the female group called Chanteuse. Okay, now Detroit has a rich history in blues. Mm -hmm. 
And when I think of your music, mm -hmm. I definitely identify it with blues. Yeah. So when we think about Orthea Barnes, I'm sitting right in front of us. Yeah, she was one of my mentors too. She didn't know me at the time. I used to watch her on, on TV, Cut Glass. Uh-huh. I used to watch you all the time and, and I'm like, wow, I want to be just like her when I was a little bitty, you know. You know, and, and so uh, when I finally got to meet her in person, I was like, ah, uh -huh. you're the lady in Cut Glass, you know. But, um. Yes, you can ask a question, Orthea. How did you choose the genre of music that you chose? Okay. See, that, see, and that's why Mama Barnes is Mama Barnes, because I was just yeah. about to go into that question. Yeah. How did you choose blues? Well, I, I always say I didn't choose it, it chose me. Okay. Because at the time that I was introduced to it, I only knew one blues song, and that was Sunday, uh, excuse me, Stormy Monday. And uh, I, I was singing background with this blues guy, and I can't remember his name right now, but me and the twins always end up singing with him at the blues festival. Uh-huh. And so I only knew one song, but I'm going to jam sessions, and at the time I'm, I'm going to these jam sessions, these bands that I was going to see, they only did soul music mm -hmm. and blues, and white boys. Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm up in there, and they asked me, do you know anything? And I said, well, I know Stormy Monday. Okay. And so I get up and I sang Stormy Monday every week until, until the audience kept saying, let the girls sing some more. <laughs> and so, I'm like, okay, uh, do y'all know some Phyllis Hyman? <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> we don't do anything but soul music and blues. I was like, okay, it's time to go get mama's records. And so that's when I started digging through my mom's albums. And, mm -hmm. and I've been listening to this all my life anyway, you know, uh -huh. but... Now I have to perform it. And then as I'm performing it throughout the years, you know, with a single mom, you, you start to relate to it. Mm -hmm. And so I start, only did songs that I could actually feel anyway, no matter what genre of music it was. If I didn't feel it, I didn't perform it. And as we talk about your performance and blues in general, mm -hmm. if anybody's ever been to a blues show, it's not as rigid as when you think about mm -hmm. jazz per se. Blues is really a call response. It's, a, it's about the feeling and the it's energy. And sometimes a song can be a minute. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you'll see a blues song go on for 20 minutes, mm -hmm. all depending upon the feeling and Where how you at? the how musicians you are at. Mm -hmm. So when you hit the stage in the mindset of what's going on and feeling it, mm -hmm. how do you tap into that energy to bring out the blues? Well, you know, as, as a young single mom at the time, I was going through it. I was on welfare. I had no money. And the gigs that I was doing at the time couldn't even, if I didn't have my mom and my sisters to back me up, there was no way that I would have been able to survive that, uh -huh. playing the little gigs that I was playing here and there. And it wasn't until uh, 87 when I joined the, the Chisel Brothers that I actually started making somewhat of a living. Okay. I could, some, it wasn't a lot of money, but it was at least something that I could count on on a regular basis. Okay. And so you live in the blues, you'll start feeling it. <laughs> feel and you start portraying it on stage. I remember one time I did this one song and, and I was in a relationship with somebody who was giving me the blues. And this brother showed up at my gig with the girl he cheated on me with. Oh, man. It was tight. And but I, that was probably a good show, though. Oh, it was good. I got a standing <laughs> ovation. I got a standing ovation. That brother, the chick ran up out of there crying. He come up to me to my, why you sing that song? I said, you shouldn't have brought it to my gig. What you thought I was going to do? Okay. So 
within that, what other support did you get from, you said family, but what did your mm -hmm. friends think as they saw your career blossom and you commit yourself to this? You know, it's, it was different. You know, I, I, what I've learned throughout the years, it, blues normally for black people means something in a, a different light. Mm -hmm. when, when they come up here from down south, they try to leave all of that pain behind. Mm -hmm. And so when they came up here, and I'm talking about my mama's folks, mm -hmm. you know, when they come up here, they didn't want to really associate with that kind of stuff. So they probably put that music to the side and whatever was good now. And I didn't, I really didn't get that until I saw this movie, um, Cadillac Records. Mm -hmm. And um, Muddy Water, was it Muddy Water? He was playing his blues. He had just come up from down south. He was playing his blues on the street. And the folks, black folks, was yelling at him, take that country chicken scratch back on where you came from. I'm like, wow, this is our, this is our music. Mm -hmm. You know, then so I, I would get that kind of response from my people of my age. You know, mm -hmm. I don't like that kind of music, you know, because they were really into the stuff that I used to do, top 40 R&B. Mm -hmm. And I love that, too. Mm -hmm. So honestly, I just feel blessed that, like I say, it chose me. But I think I honestly feel a calling to doing whatever the kind of music that I do, blues, rock, funk, because I didn't ask. It was put there. And whenever I do it, it's a good thing, you know. And also, I just when I sing it, I sing with conviction. I sing what's where my heart can relay whatever it is, and somehow it, it gets out there, and people feel it, mm -hmm. you know. No matter what it is, they eventually come around to it. And I have had people come up to me and say, "Well, I don't only really like the blues, but I like what you do." Uh -huh. So. Okay, I, I get that comment as a rapper sometimes. Mm -hmm. People say, you're not a rapper rapper, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but you a rapper. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. And I don't <laughs> know if that's insulting or if that's a compliment. Yeah. But, you know, you take it in people's interpretation of what things are. Mm -hmm. Because when I think of blues too, mm -hmm. um, I also think that it's really the roots of a lot of American music. Mm -hmm. So if you travel the history of what blues means mm -hmm. and the way that like, you know, the starts of it, of like chain gang music. It was the first American music, that's yes. what I would say. Yes. It was the roots. Mm -hmm. And if you, if, you, you, if you know like a strong tree that's lived for hundreds of years, those roots go deep. And if you don't know your roots, you're mm -hmm. just gonna fall apart. So, you know? and I know sometimes people will hear me playing different things and you're, you're in rotation and, and you're in rotation, like, like I even say this in my introduction piece mm -hmm. of you. Uh, when I was in, one of, one of my favorite things to do is to go to record stores, mm -hmm. as my mom knows. I spent way too much money on CDs coming up. Um, and one record store in LA in particular, it's Amoeba Music. Mm -hmm. And Amoeba Music is the largest record store I think I've ever been in in my <laughs> life. They have over, they carry over 300,000 titles. So. With that, they have a Detroit soul section. And in the Detroit soul section, they actually have, I remember standing out, I remember Orthea Barnes, and I was specifically looking for Spirit in the Dark from Aretha Franklin. Okay. And I saw that, and then I saw you. So I saw this combination of the music. So I said, okay, I'm gonna take a, a, a grab at this. And this was a couple years back. And then when I saw that, Soon after, Paul Miles introduced us. Mm -hmm. Saw you perform at Paul Miles' show, 
And I was like, okay, I really got to step up my game on this performance. <laughs> and, um, and since then, I've always been a fan of what you offer to the stage and what you do musically. And you also convey that in the studio well. So how do you convey that feeling because you're such a great live performer mm. over to recording? I'm not a fan of being in the studio. I really am. I'm not. Uh, it's taken me... Ooh, my last original CD was recorded in 96. Mm -hmm. And my last full-length CD, which was a cover album, and that's because I did it live, was a live show. Mm -hmm. So I just really like to perform, you know, and I'll give my best to whatever it is. And at the time that I was doing that first original album, I got signed to a record label in Seattle called Sub Pop. Mm -hmm. And they signed me with a bunch of white boys doing rock. It's an alternative rock album. Uh-huh. And um, I, had that, I had their music. At the time, I didn't write. I told them, I'm not a writer. You need to get me some songwriters because I don't write. Mm -hmm. And so they gave me the, the band gave me the music. And I had their music for like you know, six months. And they kept calling me going, so you got any lyrics? I'm like, no, I told you I don't write. You need to find me a writer. They're like, look, you need to start writing. Mm -hmm. And so I went to the studio, and at the time, the experiences I was having in this bad relationship, which I think is a godsend now, I just wrote down what I was going through. Mm -hmm. And that's where Sunday Morning Music came from. And speaking of which, Sunday Morning Music is an amazing song itself. Like, mm -hmm. that song, when you did it with the symphony orchestra, it gave like a whole new perspective of how I hear that record. Mm -hmm. But it's one of the best records that I've, like, that I've experienced live and just listening, because I think that that captures the essence of what you can offer and give yeah. in the song. So when you chose to name that the title, did you come up with that song last, first, or how did that come That up was together? the very first song that I wrote. Uh -huh. I, I remember sitting out, sitting in my living room, looking out the window, and the house that was right next door, they had just torn it down because it was a crack house. And at the time, they had been started closing all the Catholic churches around, mm -hmm. around the country. And I, I think there was like one big major church in our neighborhood that was closing. And then I was seeing the mothers who were raising their babies, walking up and down the street, selling themselves for crack. And so all of that came into the song. Mm -hmm. And when you hear it, and that sounds, this is the strange thing about it. It's a blues record. Mm -hmm. It's definitely about something bleak, but I don't feel the energy as though like I'm down when I listen to that song. It's like as if it's promised to come it, yeah, when you talk, listen to that song. It talks about um, praying for a better day. That's basically it. And knowing that if you keep the faith, it will happen. You know, mm -hmm. I was a single mom then at the time and going through it. And so uh, just to think about where I was then and where I am now. I believe that, you know, all you got to do is one of my lines now, it'll be all right when you believe it will. And as we talk about all right when you believe it will, mm -hmm. and um, let's talk about your better half. Mm -hmm. Right now, I've spent like the month of March. I feel, like mercy. I'm a, I feel like I'm a family member right now. Come on. Because I've, I've spent like the month of March with these two. Uncle James. And we're talking about James Anderson, the percussionist. Give it up for him, y'all. Come on. Yeah, give it up for James Anderson. He, James is a great percussionist. And before I even knew you all were together, 
we ended up doing a uh, freestyle session with the drummer that used to be in my band, General Population, Jalo. And Jalo's attitude is always like, <laughs> Jalo's so cool. And Jalo was like, just let him play on the drums. And I was like, all right. And you know, I'm generally always challenging bands. I'm like, play something that sounds like you in Miami in this fast pace. And everybody looked at me like usual. They crossed their arms, they're like, oh, like, Kari what? getting started again. James was the only musician that was like, I got you. And then the next thing you know, it's like the, the tonality that he got out of these out-of-tune congos that we had at the 1440 was right. amazing. Right. So um, within that energy, now that's a part of your set and that's a part of the Thornetta Davis experience. Yes, yes. So the bond that carried over, first mm -hmm. off, being married and being in music and being in business together, how do you balance all that? Ooh, my goodness. Well, first of all, I, I, hopefully I'm speaking for him also. Uh -huh. We told each other we believe that God put us together. It's like God got this weird sense of humor mm -hmm. because we knew each other for like 20 years mm -hmm. in passing. Hey, how you doing? Oh, yeah, hey, you know, that kind of thing. He would show up at the gigs and he was promoting festivals that he was giving, the Motor City Funk Fest, passing out flyers. And I was just seeing a brother. You know, he's a nice guy, always talked good. We were in our own separate relationships and every now and then we just see each other that was it and then one day I happened to be out of my bad relationship and in, in, in a different place in my spirit and he was out of his in a different place in his spirit and we were both at this uh, gallery and our mutual friend was DJing mm -hmm. black man can I say black man okay black J Jimmy Rutherford black man Jimmy Rutherford I don't know that part I just know J black man ain't that ain't it Jimmy Kevin J James, yeah. Okay, black man. Let me let, wait. Time out. Let, let, Where is black man at? <laughs> we gotta talk a little bit about black man. Black black man is a producer. Um, he actually helped Kid Rock's whole first project come together. Yes, he did. And he is one of the most eccentric people you will ever meet in your life as well. Yep. It's magical. And I would love to have him be somebody to interview one day. Oh, he'll love it. Sometimes it's like, what are you talking about, black man? But I love black it'll, man. No, it'll still work. Just exactly. get him. It. It'll still work. Okay. So, so you all were at a party with black man. Mm -hmm. And he was throwing down the jams. Uh -huh. And I was sitting in another room looking at the artwork. And James was watching me from the other room with his cousin from out of town. And this is what he tells me. He looked at his cousin and said, watch this. <laughs> he said I was doing this and some guy was talking to me which I don't I don't remember the guy I don't know uh -huh. he said you looking so bored I just thought I had come to come and rescue you oh man you came over like Max Julian you know or something <laughs> and I remember as I remember him I never remember names especially Jamalot you know uh -huh. I remember him and he says hey Miss Davis remember me I'm Jamalot indeed I was like yeah how you doing he got me up on the dance floor and my feet wasn't hurting. And I was like, wow, he go, can you do this? I'm like, yeah. And so we did, we trading off dances all night. And I felt so good just being free and, and at peace with love. The room was full of love. I felt like singing. I said, I feel like singing. And so he went into promoter mode, went all over that big building. This is a big building on Grand River. And mm -hmm. got everybody into this one little room, and they were sitting all around on the floor listening to me. And I did, uh, 
I never, uh, I love you more than you'll ever know mm. by Donny Hathaway. That's deep. And his cousin fell in love with me. Uh-huh. He said, next time I see her, I'm going to bring some roses. Mm. And then James ended up coming to my gig. Just coming to my gigs, get to know each other. And we ended up not leaving each other. That's a great thing. Yeah. Which led to the story that right now is my most followed post <laughs> on Detroit is different. It's the story of your wedding at African World Festival at Hart Plaza. Um, it was an amazing day. Yeah. And it was great event, just everything coming together. Um, Right now, I'm gonna, I, I know it's, it's like we're, we're about to run mm -hmm. into jam time. Yeah. I always ask this question for every podcast guest. And then I'm gonna open it up for three questions from anybody on the floor. <clears throat> and actually, you know what? I got two questions too. One is from Orthea Barnes, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna honor Orthea Barnes first. Mm -hmm. She says you have a great acapella song. And it's really more so, uh, not even a question, it's a comment. She yeah. says you better put that on record. Oh yeah. And that better be on your next album. So that's, that's from Orthea Barnes Definitely. through me. It, it, so, it's, a, it's a homage to sisters and sister friends. And Miss Orthea is a sister friend also. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. And my question is, if you could rename Woodward after any person mm. in Detroit history, who would it be? Goodness, Woodward. That's hard. I don't know. I can't even give you an answer on that one. I don't know. Okay. Okay. We've heard names like Coleman Young, one of my one of my uh, former guests and a supporter of this movement. Phil Cooley said Ken Cockrell Sr. We've had names like let's see what other names. Coleman Young Avenue would be cool. Aretha Franklin possibly. So we will leave that for the people to fill out. Yeah. And before I open this up to everybody, I want everybody to know, her What If Detroit left of What If Paradise Valley were still in Detroit? Orthea says she would have a club in that Paradise Valley, specifically for blues. Now, Lord so knows. You, you said Orthea too? Orthea, I'm saying Orthea. Thornetta says See, that happens that. all the time. I know, I'm messing it up Orthea, too. do they call you Thornetta? I know. Messing I don't mind because that's Orthea. Thornetta wants a club. I don't know how to do this crowdsourcing and crowdfunding and all of that oh. stuff. I haven't seen a lot of black people be successful with it as of yet. <laughs> you know, maybe I'll start walking to your show 20 miles or something. <laughs> Put the energy out there. I know. But we need to. Uh, 20 miles. We need to make that happen as a reality. So I'm just putting it out there in the space and air. But with that, three questions for Thornetta Davis. Any questions? Helen Love. Helen. Ooh, Miss Phyllis. Phyllis Simon. Right. Phyllis Hyman. I learned every song she ever did when I was a teenager, and I would sing myself to sleep with her and. And just, I always just wanted to meet her, be her, and I actually got a chance to sing background with Charles and Gwen Scales opening up for Phyllis Hyman. And so just, I just loved doing all her stuff before I started singing blues. 
those are the songs that I would do. And it was so bad that the, the group that I was with, they said, well, you got to do something else other than Phyllis, because I, that's all I ever did. But her voice, the way she enunciates her words, to me it's important to understand what you're saying when you're singing. And a lot of people sing like this, you don't understand what they're saying. But I notice as Phyllis, when she sings, you understand every word. And that's how I've always been able to do what I'm doing. So. All right. <laughs> 